0: Well, here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. It, it is. It seems like forever since we've done this, Scott. To everybody out there, they don't know that they, they don't know
1: the long and winding road that has occurred since the last time you and I spoke. Yeah. Oh, what? wait. But big news. I got. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to bury the lead here. I met Allison.
0: Right. um, Who's a listener.
1: Yes. A super fan, as she
0: described herself. Which was, you know, she and I worked together on a project. Allison and I, she's at University of Wyoming and uh, are working together on a project uh, around educator ethics. And uh, she dropped in a conversation. Hey, like early on, hey, I'm a listener. And I'm like, to what? And she's like, to your podcast. (laughs) I was what? like, oh, yeah, I have a podcast. That's right. I do. That's the thing uh, I do. Yeah. So there's that. Yes. So you were the first one to actually meet her face to face. Yeah.
1: And it was fabulous. She's great. I didn't get to spend as much time with her as I would have liked. This was a, a bit of a crazy uh, conference for me for a bunch of reasons, but I did at least get uh, a few quality minutes with her to catch up and, and get to know her. So hopefully next time it'll be uh maybe,
0: maybe we her. could bring her on sometime. She could we be could a guest, that. a guest of the show. So well, Allison, she's already a out friend there, of
1: the show. So she, yeah,
0: she could be on here. She could be our second guest. That'd be pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. And if you've made it this far, this is Ollie and that's Scott. This is oh, science right, in between. And, Today, I thought we talk about. We thought we talk about uh, something that's a pretty pressing issue across the country. Not just in Pennsylvania, but it's everywhere. Is the the looming teacher shortage? Yeah,
1: yeah, looming. It's ever looming.
0: looming. Well, I think we uh, knew this was coming. I think it sure. just got um, exasperated. Is that right?
1: Is it, no, no. I am exasperated. You're yeah. this. The problem was exasperated. No, thank you. Yes.
0: Think, okay. Yeah. Well, it was no, magnified. No, oh, <laughs> it was magnified. Exacerbated.
1: Uh, Exacerbated is the
0: word we are looking for. Right there. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> but I'm we, not going. to Please don't say that
0: word, ollie I'm Just, not going okay, to. Not going to okay. say it again. Yeah. I I mangled it once. Because
1: you broke my brain. I couldn't even think of the word
0: afterwards. <laughs> it was my fault. <laughs> yeah.
1: Is your nice. fault. You broke
0: my brain. <laughs> it's not- but I think the <laughs> pandemic magnified it. I think um there were there are folks who were working in schools who were like you know what I'm going to teach for the next 10 years and then the pandemic hit and they're like I'm out you yeah. know so i know i i was meeting with a uh, a teacher today one of my grad students who says that at her school 35 teachers have resigned this year 35 yeah yeah and and so um that creates some real challenges for schools real challenges for you know, administrators. Um, and we don't, We're you, you and I are in a pretty big institutions in terms of teacher preparation. Um, you know, Penn State's probably one of the largest and Millersville is probably in the top five or six in Pennsylvania in terms of creating, um, preparing science teachers and preparing teachers in general. Um, and, and we both recognize this challenge, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we thought we'd do is just kind of take a uh, it's pretty much a, a focused lens on science and science teachers and, you know, the teacher shortage in, in, in our area and some of the issues as we see them and maybe some solutions. I don't know, maybe, yeah, I, maybe, I, know.
1: I mean, yeah, solutions sounds like too strong a, a, a notion of what we're going to come up with, but, but at least some suggestions about how to think about this problem in, in ways that are productive, but it's a yeah well as as many problems are especially social problems around schools like it's not it's not simple there's not going to be a silver bullet answer to this uh, problem it's going to be a lot of complexity and thinking about um you know what problem are we actually trying to solve and then how do we think about how we might solve it or address it
0: well i think in science i mean there's been a this this real push to get more kids in the science more students in the science and and the challenge with that is that being a science teacher is just one career of many. And so while we may be getting more people into the pipeline, into the larger STEM pipeline, um, I don't know how many of those folks are choosing to like on our campus at at Millersville biology is probably one of the top three programs on campus Mm -hmm. in terms of majors. Um, But the number of those students who decide to go off and become a biology teacher It's just a fraction of those. And And a
1: very small fraction, to be clear, right?
0: Right, right, right. Absolutely. And so it's not like, you know, we're getting, you know, 30% or 20% or something like that. You know, if we have out of a graduating class, like four or five biology teachers or, you know, that's a lot. I think one year, you know, just a handful of years ago, I had like three or four physics people. And that was like a bumper crop. There's some years we don't have any science teachers. And... Uh, our physics teachers, excuse physics, me. Yeah. Um, we always are graduating science teachers, but all of them, even the folks who you know kind of muddle their way through, get jobs. They all get jobs because they're yeah. such in high demand. And so I think that the one challenge, you know, that they people always talk about is these. Okay, let's increase the pipeline. Let's increase the pipeline.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean that's that's not easy to do, right?
1: No. And I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of debate even about whether the pipeline is the right way to think about it. I mean, there's, a, there are problems with that too as a metaphor for what we're trying to accomplish. Sure. But, but yeah, that, that issue of, um, you know, well, there there's, you know, again, there's so many interconnected issues. So Penn state has a huge number of students who are majoring in science and we certainly get less than 1% of them that are even vaguely interested in science teaching. Um, so And there's lots of reasons for that. Like one is, I think that that has been consistent throughout time is, um, you know, if you have, if you have aptitude and ability and can succeed in science, there are lots of pathways forward that uh, offer you significantly better return on investment than being a teacher. So that is hard, right? That in and of itself has always been hard, but we've always managed to keep people in the game, but I think one of the things that's changed is the shift in the teaching landscape, and specifically the kinds of contracts that teachers have now, um, with regard to benefits and retention, and yeah. and uh, you know that's health and other kinds of benefits, and and salaries are not you know have never been a selling point of being a teacher. So so if you don't have those other things, uh, if you don't have be- strong benefits, then then that even further diminishes your interest in teaching as an ongoing
0: profession. Right. And in Pennsylvania, one of the big things that happened was just maybe about a decade ago, there was a huge change in the pension system in our state. And so um, they it went from a, a defined benefit system where you knew exactly what you're going to get to a defined contribution system. And so those are significantly different in terms of the return that an individual teacher gets. And I think that while, you know, it's, it's a nuance difference, it is a significant difference in terms of the types of benefits you would get at retirement. And I think that, you know, the average consumer probably understands that, understands what that means to them. And so when they're looking and saying, okay, I'm going to take this pay cut to go into teaching, which, you know, if you're you have aptitude in science, you can go off and become an engineer. You can go off and become a doctor or a pharmacist or yeah. which, you know, the, you know, the return on that investment. And I think the other thing, and this is probably not, something we we need to absolutely address is not just the what they come out and the careers they go to, but the cost of attending a four-year institution now, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it was, you know, a fraction of what it is today, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe half, you know? And mm-hmm. so, and the difference between going to a public institution and going to a private institution was significant. So, mm-hmm. You know, you would pay, you know, if you were to become a teacher, you could go to a public institution, you know, maybe a community college for a couple of years and then go to a state school or a state affiliated school like Penn State and Millersville that you know, we're both, you know, state related, state affiliated. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you know, the cost of attending our institutions are are huge. They're yeah. and and coming out and you're gonna become a teacher and you're gonna be, you know, I think, you know, the average uh graduate coming out of Millersville. Is something like twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars in debt, you know. Yeah. That that's gonna that's a, that's coming out with you know a, a car payment that's gonna probably take you for the next handful of years, um, or longer. Yeah. If you're coming out of a place like Penn State, you know, I think the debt for those folks is even greater. For sure. And it is. Yep. And, and and coming out and saying, okay, I'm gonna go into teaching where I'm gonna be making starting salary in Pennsylvania yeah. someplace in the fifties, you know. Yeah. And, and which is not, I mean, that is, I mean, that's a, that's a, a good starting salary, I guess. Um, yeah. But not when you're, you're burdened with maybe a $100,000, you know, debt, you know, that's, that's a pretty significant debt to start with if you're coming out of a place like Penn State, or if you go into a private school, where it might be even bigger. And, and I think that's the challenge is that um, that's one of the challenges that yes. is, is, it's is one of the challenges. That's facing it is just the sheer economics, the sheer economics of being a science person and looking and, and saying, you know what, I love my, sci- I love my field, my content area. I, I like working with kids, but that, that's a, I, I, this was uh, something I saw on, on uh, Instagram. I follow Adam Grant. You know who that is? Mm-hmm, Adam, sure. Adam, he Thanks. talks about passion tax. Mm-hmm. This is a passion tax. There's a tax. There, this is the tax for having uh, an area of which you're passionate about that you're passionate yeah. about being a teacher you're passionate about working with students and this is the tax you pay and it's becoming more and more that that tax is not something that people want to pay
1: yeah no i think well and and this is it's not new news to say that historically jobs that are associated with women's work right. um which is to say caring jobs of all kinds um have largely been undervalued right and yeah. and you've seen this in nursing you see this in in um in teaching you see it in lots of social work lots Mm -hmm. of lots of different aspects of our economy are not built around the idea that well if you're not generating wealth quote-unquote wealth then um then your position is is less valuable to our economy right so not understanding that sort of invisible work and and an important work of keeping the economy running of all this. And this, you know, this is a long historical pattern. This is not a new thing, but, but teaching's always been caught up in it as a result, at least in part of, of, well, there's probably a lot of answers to that too, but certainly it's, it's association initially with women's work, um, as, as the primary people who do that preparation. So, um, Yeah, I think I think all that is super complicated and and disappointing and and makes makes the first part, the recruiting part uh, really hard. Um, And I think, you know, I think another piece that's complicating that that has always been around but seems to have gotten more difficult is, you know, kids in high school just, you know, you're in high school or you're in whatever and you don't think about, oh, this could be a job for me. These are just people that are in your environment that you you're taking classes from them, but you don't say, Oh, I could be a physics teacher. You know, you're, you're worried about other things. And so it's not showing up on your radar. So how do we even like, you know, our college hired a recruitment officer, but I don't know exactly what that person can do. Like, are you going to go to high schools and say, Hey, don't forget, there's an opportunity to be a teacher after you graduate as a thing that you could do. Maybe you want to consider that. Um, you know that's that's not scalable to have our one our one uh, uh recruitment officer go to every high school in Pennsylvania or all of the high schools where we recruit students to come to Penn State and try and convince them to be a teacher like that's that's crazy so how do we how do we do that is it even possible to do that to recruit people into this unless you know potentially doing that in higher ed going to the intro bio class and standing up at the the podium, let, hoping the professor is going to give you five minutes and let you say, "Hey, you know, here's something you can think about. Uh, if you're if you're here and you're you're thinking about a bio major, you could also, you know, go this route into teaching. It's a it's a complicated question about how do we get new people in, much less we're also going to talk keep them.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things, and maybe this is jump into solutions and I apologize for that, but we jump around sometimes is that, you know, there is this effort. Um, I attended a, a webinar, not really. Uh, it was a, a, a web-based, a streaming hearing. That's what it was. Uh, it was the state legislature had a hearing around this, uh, I guess maybe a few weeks ago. And so I, I attended virtually. Um, and one of the, uh, suggestions solutions was about growing your own that was the term they used. using growing yep. your own yep. and so working with school districts to identify students of promise and i don't know what that comes with like is there some sort of financial thing that comes with that that you know local school districts give a grant for you know you know Students have promised to go off and go to college and come back and and do something. Uh, I know locally, uh, one of the departments in our our school um, is doing a recruit one. Um, so if you could, if they're just working with all the local, it's specifically around our technology education teachers, um, which you know Millersville is one of the very few programs in the state that prepares technology education teachers. Um, you know, these are the folks that are teaching CAD and teaching, you know, wood wood shops, robotics, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only a handful of those programs in the state, and they're really struggling to find students to get into those programs. And, you know, we and that's an an area that's been growing in a lot of schools um as a as a place to help, you know, kids look for careers and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just like, okay, if you can recruit one, if you can recruit one student out of your graduating class, you know. Then you might be able to. We might be able to make a dent in the teacher shortage in our our content area. And technology education is one that if we talk about. Science, te- technology education is hurting yeah. for for teachers right now. They are hurting yeah,
1: for sure. It is, and I and you know, I mean, I think maybe, and this is skipping around a little too. But I think talking about it, that, this is a really well recognized problem in science and technology and mathematics, right? So yeah. So Obama's ten thousand K and ten. Um, initiative, which was the, no, 100K in 10, sorry, 100,000, getting 100,000 STEM qualified, I think was the word in there, qualified STEM teachers in 10 years. So his goal was at the beginning, early on in his presidency was to do this. And an organization was set up called that uh, 10,000K in 10. Um, I think that number's right maybe
0: that's 100,000 and 10 i don't know
1: well that's why i said 100k and 10 or was it 10 you you figure that out while i meander on about whatever this is but but the point is that this is a recognized problem and there for a long time we knew this was coming that there that the teaching force especially in in stem areas was aging and and uh needed we need a lot of people flowing in so in addition to the supply problem we're going to have an increasing demand problem we're going to have more and more these folks who are who are of retirement age and then to connect all this back to uh something that we talk about and care about is you know the equity issues that are implied in that which is to say what's going to happen is the qualified the best of those the qualified ones of these teachers are going to move they're going to be shifted into school districts um and and this already happens, right? That affluent uh, school districts can pay more and therefore attract more teachers to apply, and they can be more selective about who works there. And then the place where the shortages are going to be most um, problematic and difficult to deal with are going to be rural and urban poor schools that don't have a lot of access to the resources they need to recruit folks. So. You're going to you're going to start developing bigger and bigger inequities in the system around this because because there won't be teachers to take these jobs in places that don't have the resources to pay them well, where other places will be able to say, yeah, we're we're just going to up that. You know, yeah, the benefits aren't quite as good, but we're going to start moving that starting salary up and we're going to keep recruiting people in.
0: Right. Well, and 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 you know one of the things that Scott and I were talking about before we got on air was there was a a big report that came out of Penn State that was supported by um the Center for Rural Pennsylvania and we'll put this in the show notes but that's exactly what's shown is that they did the um the the authors Ed Fuller and Andrew Pandola, who are both people out of Penn State, did this really comprehensive study in in 2020, looking at um, you know the number of uh, graduating students, number of new certifications that came out, and looked at it by different demographics across the state, looking at urban or rural specifically, and and that weighs out. That's exactly what happens. Is that you're seeing that you know in really you know the, the two areas that are most you know, affected by the, the teacher shortage is the really urban areas and the rural, rural areas. The suburban areas are not having trouble attracting teachers because they can pay, and you know the, the 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 setting for those schools are different, and and so they are doing a better job of attracting teachers to those areas. And and our most marginalized students, the folks who are you know, a lot of cases, there's the rural poor and the urban poor are the ones that are the most affected by this, and so you know, they're getting um, in a lot of ways, a second, second class education um, because they're not getting, um, you know, the, the number of, you know, qualified teachers working in their schools that others are, yeah.
1: it was hundred K in 10. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I got that too. And so I was right the second time. So I said 10,000 10, K in 10, and then I caught myself and said, no, it's hundred K in 10. And they also say that they've achieved their goal.
0: They did. And imagine ima- yeah, I saw that too. And the, yeah. I and don't it, know
1: what that means
0: though is what it's, I, I was, It says that they have uh, uh reading down further it said something like they had uh supported 108,000 teachers science stem teachers right. 108,000 stem teachers to uh American classrooms in the yes. last 10 years. But so I, imagine I, what the problem would be how uh, what how great uh, this would be if those 100,000 were there. Well,
1: and I mean the cynic in me is what is that, what does even that mean? Like a yeah. how are they defining stem teachers? B yeah. how are they saying that they did that? Like you're saying that there are 100,000 people in in the United States that applied for a job that could be construed as a stem teaching job and, and how are you taking responsibility for that? But
0: well, they partnered with colleges, so I mean, they yeah. specifically partnered with a, hand, a handful of colleges. some out of uh, California and so on. So, I mean, there's you know, um, some folks at University of Texas Austin. That there's uh, that, that's one of their partners. Sure. So there's but lots. Did they of count
1: teachers that graduated from Millersville and Penn State? Because we we're not partners.
0: I don't think we're a partner. I, no. I
1: know. I know Penn State is. I is not. We talked. We talked with them at some point about it, um, but. The the point is like uh, it, well the it, we don't have to nitpick hundred t- k and ten that's not the point um, so the point is that there there was uh there was and is a recognition that this is a real that this is a natural a uh, national crisis that needs to be dealt right. with um, and this was one attempt to try and address that was hundred k and ten was to start an organization whose primary focus was the recruitment of of excellent stem teachers um but that said i i don't think you know my sense is from as you said my students and their ability to get jobs and generally speaking you know what the what the landscape looks like and what superintendents are telling us um this is not a problem that's likely to go away anytime soon no. and it's definitely going to keep getting worse right if we if we trend the way that we do um
0: well i think that you know, for 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 Pennsylvania, we've long been you know had a, a surplus of of teachers. Like right. We create more we're teachers. We're exporter. We, we're export teachers, and and so our neighboring states like New York, like New Jersey and Delaware and yeah, Maryland, Virginia. they come yeah they come in and they just recruit our our graduates away. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, what's happened in <laughs> recently is that they're coming in. These states are coming in with like signing bonuses. Like it's, it's like unheard of to think that like someone's going to come in and offer a signing bonus of sometimes like thousands of dollars and yeah. say, you know what? We're gonna pay your moving fees. We're gonna pay for, you know, that's never happened to me in my career where I've been like, hey, I've got to move to this area for a job. And now that is something that happens in other professions. Like if you're, you know, a an executive working for some company, then yes, that happens. You switch from one branch to another branch. They're gonna maybe give you, you know, a bonus for moving to that. And they're gonna pay for the movers to move your stuff but that doesn't happen in education and it's starting to happen. Now it's starting to happen in that people are coming in and recruiting Pennsylvania teachers to other States and saying, Hey, I'm going to give you the signing bonus and I'll pay. And there's one, one state. And I looked this up at like some of the things that are, uh, some other States are doing. They're helping with, you know, some of, uh, some of the, you know, debt that they have and also putting them up in in houses.
1: Yeah. So imagine. Well, in some places they have to do that, right? Right. Like this this is a thing that you hear about in places like New York City and San Francisco, and I think Austin. You know, places where you can't live on right. the salary that you're going to make as a teacher. So the school districts are are buying houses and using them as housing, right? They're 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 basically becoming landlords so that um, so that they have places for their teachers to live that 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 are that are essentially rent controlled. I mean. The, the landscape here, I think, is changing in really interesting ways. And I don't necessarily think, I don't know, are necessarily good ways. I don't know. It's very hard to tell. You know, the thing that it reminds me of is, is what's happened with nursing as a result of the pandemic, this, this um, idea of like the traveling nurse, right? The nurse for hire um, who makes significantly more than the nurses that they are working with because they're, they're these contract workers that are brought in because the hospitals are desperate and they're, they need more nurses. So they, and so people are, you know, buying a truck and a wind stream and they're driving around and they're saying, Oh, I'm going to be here for six months. I'm going to go somewhere else for six months and negotiating that contract. And so, yeah, you do wonder, I mean, again, they're, what this might mean, right? So, I mean, if STEM, if particularly science and math are a high demand fields, special education, as you said, maybe tech ed, um, yeah. are those folks going to be able to renegotiate? Are they going to be able to go into school districts and say, look, I'm only coming here if you give me X, Y, and Z. And if yeah. not, and then what is that going to, how much is that going to exacerbate the, the current equity? <laughs> you
0: said it, you nailed it. I know I tried you stuck stuck the landing there so okay so I think we've talked a little bit about some of the issues of getting teachers into into like the study it right to to potential teachers to come in to colleges and enter the, uh, the teaching field. Um, but let 's talk about a little bit about retention um, like what are some of the issues with like why are people leaving the profession? And I think some of it 's just like the climate of schools and the climate of and expectations of parents and 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 children right now and and I think that that has been that's changed in large part because of the pandemic you know that the pandemic has really put people on on edge and increased their expectations about what we do with our students um, and in a large a lot of ways it 's uh, it's 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 made the job so much harder and it was hard to begin with like now it's even harder and and folks are going okay i just and the and morale is low Mm -hmm. because of uh we we're both out in schools we see it we see Mm -hmm. people who are just like yeah you know they're spent and
1: well and there's an interesting irony right in that in in the initial phases of the pandemic and you know, in that first spring and and I think into the following fall, there was a very, I th- in many respects, I think a very positive response to right. teachers in in that there was a, wow, I can't imagine being a teacher like I've had my kid home now, trying to teach them and it is exhausting to do on top yeah. of my job and on and I have only got the one or two or however many you have at home versus the twenty five or something that you have in a classroom. So there did seem to be that initial response to that. But then the other thing that seems to have happened is that t- parents also got a window into what teachers are doing because that or the version of what teachers were doing that was happening during the pandemic because the right. the Zoom was on in their house and they could look over their kid's shoulder and then the flip side was okay. Schools don't work for my kids, so this this needs to get fixed. And and then then it, there was a bit of a turnaround, and there was more blaming of teachers. And I think yeah. that has been that hasn't helped. Our our you know on top of all the stress and complexity of doing the job of teaching in an online slash remote environment with almost no notice. Um, now there's the additional critique of parents who now think since they've been watching on zoom, they know how classrooms work and they're ready to tell teachers that they're doing a bad job.
0: Yeah. And, and so it's kind of been, it's deprofessionalized the profession, you know, Mm -hmm. not because of anybody's fault, right. Mm -hmm. But because of just, you know, the, the pandemic has just changed and that, that version of education was just triage education. It was just like, let's yeah. let's try to do the best possible job we can do with our students and within the constraints that we have. And that became the 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 view of some people's expectations. There were students who just loved that. They were just like, all right, this is what I got. Yeah. yeah. All right. Rock and roll. And then coming back and 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 having you know, trying to get back to what things were before the pandemic, some students really resisted that. And some parents did too, because they're Mm -hmm. like, look, you know, Hey, life is short. Let's just in, enjoy life while we're in it. But it's like, hold on. You know, we, there's still an education here. There's still things we have to do and things yeah. you have to learn. And, and that's the stuff that's ultimately going to contribute to long term, you know, success for, uh, for students. And they weren't buying in and just like, no, I'm not in for it. You know, yeah. I'm, I want my kids at home or whatever. Um, And so that it, 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 it broke it. It broke the system. It, it like, it, and it's gonna be hard to get it back to to being what it was, which was, you know, teachers being revered for, you know, what they did and to be mm-hmm. celebrated for what they did. And and I think there's still, you know. If you talk to most people they'll say their lives were changed because of some teacher. And if you ask them that question, who which teacher had the most impact on you? Everybody has an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Like everybody has an answer to that some teachers, you know, either saved their life or changed their career or you know, gave them some opportunity they didn't know they could do, you know? And I think my hope and it's the optimist in me is hopeful that that is the the kind of conversation that will win the day and then just as we get a couple of years but beyond this that you know some of those things will start to bounce back i don't see it happening this semester i don't see it mm-hmm. happening in this academic year because i know some some of my um art teacher friends are on the ropes they're mm-hmm. on the ropes and so let's, let's, okay. Let, we've, we've spent all this time in the, in the weeds in, in the mud. Badness. Let's talk about some solutions. Cause I think, I think I, we have a couple, I mean, I think there's some policy things that we could suggest. There's certainly some programmatic things that we can do at our universities and we're already doing some of those things. And so, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I think there should be some, some loan forgiveness for teachers. I think that's mm-hmm. the, that's like number one, uh, number one. And it should be like, if you're going into content, content areas and they did this when I know when I first started teaching I came out with I came out of pit with some debt Um, and because I was a physics teacher that was a high demand area and within like five years my, my loan was forgiven Forgiven, and so mm-hmm. you know, targeting that towards specific content areas, and targeting that to to um, specific schools, saying, hey, you know, if you're in a content area that is high need, we're going to give you X percent per year. If you go to, you know, a a very rural school or a very urban school or a Title Nine, Title I school or something, then you know, here are the things that we can do, and mm-hmm. and offering some incentives to get people to work in those. Settings really highly qualified people to work in those settings can I think that's a that's a policy way that's a way that you know states can really uh, attack this in a way that can make some big differences. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think I think there is a this this is not a, a clearly thought out solution or or proposal here. I'm just going to sort of spill here, but um, but I do think one of the things that could be considered and i think about this both in terms of higher ed and in terms of k12 is is thinking about the job as it is constructed so we ha- we have these jobs you know teaching jobs and and you know there is this sense that um they should have a certain amount of their time is spent teaching classes and then they have duties and they have some preparation periods built into that But I think one of the things we're going to see is that we're going to see school districts who are willing to be innovative around how they structure the contracts of the folks that work for them. And I think changing how you structure those jobs could be, because if you're not going to pay them more, is there a way to reorganize their time so that there's a benefit to the way that you're helping them think about teaching. So, um and I don't know where those models will come from. I'm sure there are people in Higher Ed or who study school policy who are better prepared to talk about that. But I do think if we if we if we want to keep people in the teaching profession, particularly in high demand areas, I think we really have to reconsider what their job description is and uh and the sort of old way of um you know seniority determines all things and the new coming the incoming people get the worst assignments because that's just the way it works and you have to teach you know five classes a day and have one prep period and one duty period and you know it it doesn't it's not a professional environment like it, it it ends up grinding people down and you know again i think the pandemic is only exemplified um uh, made that well i was gonna i was gonna say i was gonna say exacerbated again but i but i but i feel like that's like you, a, beat you a lost, dead horse you, yeah
0: you, you lost your steam in the middle yeah, there I, so, <laughs> I,
1: so i so i tried to switch horses in the middle i saw that it was, that was and, bad it was oh, bad
0: that's all good so, man. Um, well well yeah. i will say this you know i was in Uh, I guess maybe I've talked about this before, but a handful of years ago, um, me and uh, one of our friends, Jason, went to Sweden for, uh, you know, and we, I spent an entire week in, you know, middle schools in, in Sweden and talk about approaching the profession from a professional standpoint, like the, the there was no, there was no police state. Okay, these, these students came in. You know, there was, there was no bus duty. The kids came in. And it was like middle school kids. So these were kids as as young as like maybe 10, 11. Most of them were, it was in Stockholm. So
1: mm-hmm. the kids
0: were coming off of, you know, bu- like regular public buses, transport, yeah. public transportation, getting themselves there. And they would come and they pretty much had like freedom to like walk around and work and do all this. There was no hall duty. There was no, right. le- I mean, the, Most of the adults chose to eat with the kids, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that was an assigned duty. Mm -hmm. And there was lots of time where they were built into the day that they could just work and develop lessons and work with colleagues. And and there was a time where that was pretty common. There was like common planning times, common... But though, that that has largely been gone. Most of that has been stripped from teacher schedules. Mm-hmm. So that most of the work and preparation that teachers do is now outside of school or after yeah. school. And so there's the school day. And then all the things that they do to grade papers and prepare lessons is happening outside of school. Yeah. And that is a hard, hard life to do for 185 days. Yeah. And, and, and teachers know that. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that's a... That's a really good, you know, idea is, you know, changing how we, you know, how teachers work, you yeah. know, because they're like, that's a really expensive hall monitor. That's a really expensive lunch duty, you know, monitor right. that's, you know, there are people who could be doing that job in other ways, you know, uh, you or know. to
1: your point, there are ways to structure schools so that that, yes, that is don't not have a necessary
0: job, right, right? right? I
1: mean, I think. And, and, you know, I mean, kids will get into trouble and that's part. Yeah. I had a similar experience. We had, we play student teachers in Amsterdam or in um, uh, Utrecht in, in the Netherlands. And I've been over there and supervised and, and yeah, the schools are like the culture of the school is very different. Right. And, and, and changing culture is hard, but it can be done on a small scale with individual schools if there's will and there's, um, you know, commitment. Um, But I think, yeah, this idea of, you know, and it, and it is a carryover of unions, and I think we can. There there are pros and cons to the way that unions have played out in teaching. Um, but one of the cons is that it has somewhat deprofessionalized the field, and it has tr- be, treated it much more like it's a manufacturing job, right? Where where you're manufacturing children's learning, if we're being generous, those are the widgets, and um, and that. That that's not conducive to treating teachers as professionals because it it all has to be written down in a very rule based sort of way. So, yeah, I mean uh, things like simple things, right? Like the teachers in Amsterdam, if they were not teaching, they didn't have to be in the school. They could leave. They could go have a lunch with their friend, or they could, you know, go have a doctor's appointment, and they didn't have to, you know, get permission like they were, you know, a sixth grader in the United States, right? I mean, it's it's so even even just some of those things of can we really start thinking about ways to treat teachers as the professionals that they are would make would make a big difference, but yeah things like duties thinking about what, how we think about the school day and it's divided up i mean
0: yeah i I think from a You know, teacher education standpoint, I think there's some ideas. uh, There's some places to be like one of the things you and I know we're both working on is alternative certification tracks, you Mm -hmm. know, like to help people who maybe, you know, have a degree in some other thing that's related to, you know, physics or related to math that they might be able to, you know, do a residency or do a, you know, a one year intensive program like an MAT or something to, to, to recertify. I think if we look at our traditional, undergraduate education, there's some opportunities there specifically for science is that, um, and if you're outside of Pennsylvania, you might not know this. Um, there's a, there's a pretty hard GPA requirement to become a teacher. Yeah. And while that GPA requirement might be pretty logical, if you're in some other content area, you know, getting a 3.0 in physics is rough. It is a yeah. rough, rough thing because physics is hard stuff. And so, Being mindful of, you know, that these arbitrary rules, and there's no connection, there's no research to say that, you know, somebody who gets a 3.0 in physics is going to be a better, you know, physics teacher than somebody who gets a 2.5 in physics, you know, there's no research to show that that's connected. Having a base content knowledge is really important. We know that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and being a quality teacher is important, but in terms of like, whether they pass things like the basic skills test, which Pennsylvania had, for a, a, a number of years and then waived it. Like, kind of, They kind of like put a hold on it while the pandemic hit for, you know, candidates are go, entering into, you know, teacher education. But then it was like, okay, now we're going to bring it back. And so there's a whole yeah. who, host of people who were like, hold on, now I got to take this test. And it's yeah. like, and again, it's not something that every state does. And there's no research to show that it has any effect on how successful or effective teachers are. And yeah. so it's like these arbitrary, like, loops that and hoops that people have to jump through it's just yeah
1: yeah well uh, it's part of the nature of teaching being a government job right? And right people don't often think of it that way but because it is it it is complicated but i think now is the time for joys ali i think oh, we, yeah. that's a transition so i think you know these <laughs> issues of of how how do we solve this crisis i don't know that we do but i do think um what we're suggesting is we're going to have to start being creative and not just continuing on the path that we're on of hoping that there'll be enough science teachers around in, in 10 years for, to teach our kids. I think if we, if we don't take this seriously and start thinking about how to solve it, we're, we're going to be uh, a little bit up a creek here.
0: Right. So, and that, that we're at like a really critical point to, be, uh, to make decisions and to, that are going to have impacts for decades to come. For sure. Yeah. So do you have a joy or do you want me to start?
1: Uh, I have a joy. I will start. All right. Rock and roll. Um, I am going to suggest a book that I just finished called Station Eleven, which was also made into a Netflix miniseries. Um, and it is a fan- It's fantastic book. It's by Emily St. John Mandel or Mandel. I don't know how to pronounce that, so I may be mispronouncing it, but um, it's... You know, so the bad news is it's a post-pandemic sort of pandemic book, uh, which you would think right now is not the sort of book that you necessarily want to be reading. But it's it's a fantastic book and it's really interestingly written with this sort of um interwoven uh sort of jigsaw puzzle of a of a plot and or story where you're sort of getting future and past timelines woven together that are sort of unveiling each other over, over the, the length of the novel. And it's, I just found it, you know, fantastically well-written and interesting and, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic post-pandemic, uh, content aside, it it's just it a really joyful. good read. It sounds joyful. It's <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I think at the end it's pretty joyful. I think it is a, there is a hopeful message to it, but, um, but it is, I mean, it also, I think, points at the fragility of human society and, and how much, and I think we saw a glimpse of that in, a, in the pandemic. And all this book does is dial that up to 11, no pun intended, <laughs> um, to say, yeah, did you see what I did there? I did. Uh, um, is, is to say like, okay, if this thing went a lot more wrong than our current, and and this was written before the pandemic happened um if this it was written in 2015 so if if it went a lot more wrong than our current version what might that look like and um and i think it's it's uh it's it's a think piece in that regard too i think i think she was prescient in in saying you know we don't really get how much different it could be you know pandemic back in the when when you had the black plague that was terrible we didn't know what was happening lots of people were dying but now our infrastructure is such that we rely on so many things yeah. to to work uh for us to live that if those things all collapse there's a pretty big domino effect right like yeah. if electricity and the internet and all this stuff disappeared like overnight uh or even over a, you know quote unquote overnight over a couple of weeks um, what that would mean for the human population, I think is a, is an interesting think piece. So, uh, so I, I, I don't know if it's joyful, but it's well-written and it and it's very engaging. You will, you'll enjoy reading it.
0: All right. I'll check that out. If I'm okay. like feeling like, ah, uh, you know,
1: yeah. Being depressed. Like, I don't, depressed. I can't, I cannot speak to the Netflix series. I don't know. I, I have I, heard I've, that it's I've, good,
0: but yeah, I've seen that show up on people's feeds. That's something they've, they've enjoyed. So yeah. Yeah, um i will say mine is uh you know staying true to who i am uh something comic book related
1: oh, I, thought, I, I thought it was gonna be ice cream related but no
0: no i haven't make a lot of ice cream though um what uh what i did recently was i i downloaded a preview of marvel unlimited which is an app mm-hmm. for you know your you know ipad or your know, phone and i subscribed i figured out oh, what the heck i'll i'll subscribe for you know, a year, a couple of months and see what it looks like. And one of the things that I'll say is that it, it gives you a, uh access to the Marvel library, everything that Marvel has done up until like maybe two or three months ago. So there's a delay in when things come. So it's not the new stuff. But what mm-hmm. it does is it also gives you um like you can read an entire series from the beginning. So if you're like, hey, I'm really interested in Moon Knight, you can start Moon Knight from the beginning and read all of the different folks but i think for me that the thing that i caught on to recently that i'm really enjoying is they always have like events right like if you're a comic book fan you know they've done events like you know um in the Infinity war was an event that yeah. happened like probably like 20 years ago in the comic book world and maybe about like 10 or 15 years ago the house of m was a pretty big event mm-hmm. now i have the house of m single issues but whenever you know comic books do this they do this and it goes across all of their issues yeah And so all these issues... Titles, all their titles. All their titles, right. All the titles. So, you know, it might, besides being in the House of M single, which I think was like six or eight of those, it also went into Wolverine. It also went into, you know, the Exiles. It also went into all all Spider-Man and and all this. So, and it's just impossible to have all of those because we're talking with all of them, there might be like 50 books, right? 50 different single issues to read across all the different titles. So you might have a couple that you follow but the this, this story becomes so inter- interweaved. Like right now, there's a big one on Del- called The Devil's Reign, which is about you know uh, Kingpin becoming mayor of New York. Right, that is across all of the titles that have anything related to New York City. Um, now there's the single Devil's Reign yep. ones, but. Right. So I'm reading all of the House to M, like from beginning to end. And it's like seeing it play out in all of the different titles is really cool. Yeah. And there, and while I knew the series, I knew the individual, I didn't know how it impacted all these other worlds and all these other storylines, which is cool to, to and that's just you know, it's kind of nerdy and it's kind of comical, yeah, I nerdy, like that. But it's really cool because it's something I, you know, I'd never been able to do before because it's just the cost of it is gigantic. Um, but this you know, it's a subscription yeah. and I can read them all on my iPad.
1: So I got one question about that. So do they organize them for you?
0: Yes. Okay. So, so
1: that's an important piece of this mess, right? Is that, yeah. Cause so the, they, one of the challenges with this, like multi woven book thing that Marvel and DC all do is keeping track of which thing happens before, which thing right. across all these different issues. And
0: well, that, well, you can look for a series and it has them all listed and you could go down by the series by that. Like, you know, the House of M series that happened. Right Now, I would say the user interface could improve because what you end up doing is once you get into the title, then you start to follow that title. And so you have to navigate back to the series oh, and to get I back see. in that because you get stuck in the title. So you, if you don't. Yep, I get you. Yeah. The user interface is a little clunky from that standpoint. But once you learn how to navigate that, then you could stay within the series and not within the title. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All it's right. pretty cool. Yeah. So there we are. I don't, what, what, what episode was this? 84? Uh, 84. It was 84. 84. 84. Not, in the not an
1: issue of note, but no, it's in the books.
0: Not one of note, but it was a good one. It was a great episode. It was good to see you again, my friend. It's good to see you. All right. And, catch uh, you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.